You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The limits of who has what emergency powers are being tested by the coronavirus pandemic as states order residents to stay at home while President Trump considers the lifting of precautions over the objections of governors. Joining me is Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School. Steve, first of all, governors can order people to stay at home and businesses to close. But is there a limit to how they can enforce those orders? I mean, it really varies state to state, June. The short answer is the limits on governors in those circumstances are just the line past which they're crossing into an invasion of our own civil liberties. But, you know, states and local governments have a general police power. They can regulate, you know, the regular sort of conduct of our daily lives. So if there's a strong enough justification for these shelter at home and shelter in place orders, and if they're not violating our individual rights, then they're generally permissible, especially in a public health crisis like this one. So now the president has suggested he has the power to order people back to work. Suppose that conflicts with a governor's stay-at-home order. Who wins? Can he override a governor's stay-at-home order? I mean, the short answer is no. The federal government does not have the same kind of general regulatory police powers that local and state governments have. And so, you know, whatever the president might wish, he can't just snap his fingers and order schools to reopen and order private businesses to, you know, go back to where we were a month ago. You know, there are sort of more subtle things the president can do, some of which I think are pretty punitive, some of which I think are more sort of leading by persuasion. But, you know, the actual authority here is principally at the local and state levels, and it's really up to our mayors and our governors to make those decisions for us. Suppose the president ordered businesses deemed essential to get back to business. Could he do that? I mean, I really don't think so. The federal government's power over business really is only through the lens of Congress's power to regulate interstate commerce. And there really is no statute that exists right now that would authorize the president as a matter of statutory interpretation to issue that kind of an order. I think Congress maybe could pass some kind of statute that affected those businesses that are part of interstate commerce. But, you know, I don't think that that's likely anytime soon from this Congress or really from any other Congress. When the president issues guidelines, like he announced on March 16th, do they carry any force at all? Not, I mean, the guidelines the president issued, those guidelines which came from the CDC, really were, you know, binding within the executive branch, June, but otherwise just suggestions to everybody else. You know, the federal government does have a whole lot of coercive powers, including coercive powers in a public health emergency like this one. But telling individual small businesses, telling individual public schools when they can open, when they can close, what they should do, what they shouldn't, you know, that's beyond the power anyone's ever thought the president of the United States has and probably even beyond the power of the entire federal government if it could actually get on the same page. There's been this struggle where the governors want the president to start acting under the Defense Production Act. Where does that stand right now? And is there anything they can do besides use their persuasive powers? So, I mean, the Defense Production Act is this 1950s era statute that gives the federal government powers at basically a sort of ratcheting level of coerciveness to not take over private industry, June, but to basically sort of jump the line when it comes to ordering goods, buying goods, commissioning, you know, the manufacturer of particular goods. And, you know, President Trump made a big deal out of signing an executive order that unlocked the Defense Production Act. But there's no indication that the federal government has taken any further steps 
to use the coercive authorities, for example, to buy up a whole bunch of ventilators or, you know, PPE, personal protective equipment. And I think what these governors are really frustrated about is this is power the federal government has and could be exercising. The fact that they're not leaves these individual governors to basically try to make their own deals with these companies. And there's a big difference, June, when you've got 50 different governors competing for a limited pool of resources versus one federal government that by federal law is entitled to priority over everybody else. That's why the Defense Production Act is such an important tool. And that's why I think it's so frustrating to many that it's been underutilized to this point. The White House is going to suggest categorizing counties as low, medium or high risk. Do governors, do they have any obligations to follow that? Not in the abstract, June. I mean, I think, again, the the president's principal lever here, besides persuasion, is his control over the federal workforce. And so it's possible that this is a precursor to sending federal employees in those counties labeled low risk back to work. But beyond governing the federal workforce and beyond, you know, parsing out federal dollars, the president really doesn't have any formal authority to tell governors and mayors what they should be doing about their own public health crises. And I think that's something that in some circumstances is a bug and in others is a feature, but is a defining structural result of our system of federalism. The president has the power to declare a national emergency, and some people see that and think that that gives him some kind of enormous powers over the states. But does it? No. I mean, so declaring a national emergency, as you know, as we saw with the border wall, is really just a means for unlocking a bunch of other authorities. And in this context, the authorities that you know the national emergency unlocks are principally about funding. And so the area where I think the president has the most control is in deciding just how much federal disaster funds to share with states, to open up resources, to help them pay for everything they're doing to manage this crisis. I think, June, it's not hard to see how the ability to control those funds gives the president a pretty prominent ability to persuade by trying to get states to cooperate. But at the end of the day, it's just about cooperation. In Florida, the governor has ordered National Guard units to greet passengers arriving from the New York area and ask where they plan to self-isolate while they're in Florida. And local sheriffs are empowered to enforce that. So any kind of due process concerns here and, and why it's just people from New York? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are a couple of different problems, June. I think that the most glaring problem with what Florida is doing is that they're acting a lot more aggressively toward folks traveling from out of state and toward their own state citizens. I mean, I think Florida has been one of the laxer states to date with regard to shelter-in-place restrictions and attempts to flatten the curve. But from a con law perspective, the real problem with what Florida is doing is the requirement in Article 4 of the Constitution that states not discriminate against out-of-state residents, at least without sufficient cause. And so it's not hard to imagine, if this ever got to litigation, that a New Yorker or New Jersey resident who is subject to one of these restrictions, or let's say who got a ticket for not complying with the self-quarantine, would object that Florida's good reason for being especially harsh on them, concerns about public health, are belied by Florida's lack of similar aggressiveness toward its own residents. That's Stephen Vladek, professor at the University of Texas School of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.